Welcome to Communion and Shalom. In this podcast, we are exploring how the biblical and historic Christian faith can engage sexuality, ethnicity, culture, and our local communities as we pursue the flourishing of God's kingdom. Our goal is to engage these topics charitably and with nuance. While we're largely shaped by our side B, post-liberal, localist, and multi-ethnic perspectives, and we'll explain each of these perspectives on the show, we're eager to engage a variety of voices. Hello, everybody. Glad that you could be here today. It's just TJ and I here to talk about the sides. Uh, yeah, so what we mean by the sides, you'll hear us using four letters, A, B, Y, and X. Not everybody necessarily uses these letters or the different ways of describing them, but some people are aware and they'll teach out of these kind of four different perspectives on how Christians approach primarily homosexuality and homosexual practice. And we want to help make that clear because we're going to be using this language a lot of kind of shorthand of ABYX. And so we wanted to give it a podcast episode to help make these things clear. Yeah, that's so true. Actually, I've seen there's a lot of confusion over how these mm-hmm. different sides or perspectives, what they mean or how to use them. And we're going to provide our particular take. We've been thinking about this for, you know, a while, a couple of years, at least, if not more. I want to share a few preliminary comments about this, just so we can be very clear about where we're coming from. So the first one I want to mention in this conversation, we recognize this as a heuristic device to describe the broad contours of general schools of thought. These are generalities. A lot of people do fall within one generally, but there's complexities and nuance in all of them. And in fact, we recognize that these groups, they can, they can shift and form new ones. And they can, the terms can change over time. Right now, not everyone in the whole world uses these terms, even if they kind of are in a general school of thought. But there's so just also that fact. They're more complex than just very rigid categories. In this particular podcast, we want to focus on being charitable in the way we present them. And it, it's, there's some difficulties in that, in that there's some contention between the sides because they're different perspectives and they actually have real differences in people's lives. Our attempt is to be as charitable as possible and sharing what the, how people describe it. We want the people who actually are within the school to recognize their position from what we are saying, that they would not be surprised that we describe it that way. Just basically being charitable and just in our interpretations. Which, yeah, which is a, a good standard for kind of dialogue across uh, divisions of thought is, yeah. are we able to justly represent someone else's perspective? If we can describe it and they say, yes, that is what I think and believe, then that means we did a good job. Yeah. I think it's, I think actually, I think it's our duty as a Christian disciple to be charitable in all things, particularly in representing others. Another comment, we're not going to provide the whole historical perspective of the whole way that these terms have developed over the past, what, 30 years or 20 years, but we're just going to provide you some sort of historical perspective, but it's more just to kind of move on to our larger point, which is to describe somewhat abstract types, but types which actually people use and do actually shape people's real lives. I also should mention that this conversation might be most prominent among side B people because we're the ones who are thinking about it, but also we're the ones who are kind of positioning ourselves against particular other uh, kind of schools of thought that we experience in the world or engage with. I have encountered side A people, and David Frank says he has encountered side X people who are using, using these categories or something very similar. So other groups use it, but perhaps the conversation is most prominent among side B Christians themselves. So that's just something, that's what I want to share at the beginning, just so you know where, how we're going to approach this and what we're going to talk about. I think now we're going to start with the, the background, the longest background that we have kind of in the U.S. context. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so it'd be important to just remember that this idea of sexual orientation and the ways that we 
would describe people. It used to be, you know, now we talk about LGBTQ and historically a little bit more on heterosexuality versus homosexuality. Are you a heterosexual or a homosexual? That language only goes back to the late 1800, the 1880s, and really didn't take off until the early 1900s. And so in the early 1900s, when there actually started to be kind of homosexual communities, groups of people who were, could be actively, you know, partaking in a certain kind of way of life, developing uh, their own culture amongst themselves. This was happening in different cities. The entire U.S. culture began to take notice of this. And what used to just be called the sin of sodomy had begun to become psychologized. Uh, so Freud and his contemporaries were saying, hmm, what's going on here? Why are these primarily groups of men beginning to, you know, act in this way and have sexual relationships with each other? This is not to say that there's never been communities like this throughout world history, but just it was a predominantly kind of took off in a sense in the U.S. context in a, in a unique way. But it didn't just get like, oh, these are people who do these things. It had a psychological perspective, or at least like the people who, whose ideas were of that. Viewing human beings through a psychological lens. Yep. So they weren't just people who did homosexual acts. They were homosexuals. They were a type of person similar to an introvert versus an extrovert. You're not just a person who hangs out with people, but you are in fact extroverted. It is part of the way that you're oriented towards the world. Forming types of people based on predilections or propensities inside themselves. So that's like really quick on just like even just the the idea of homosexuals. And so U.S. culture was what we would now call side X. They were like, whoa, what's going on here? What's wrong with them? Why do they think this way? What's it wrong in their brains? And so in the early 1900s, hospitals and clinics would actually get set up to send homosexuals to mental facilities. They would do like, they, there's even, uh, what's that called? Like lobotomies and mm-hmm. mental shock therapies. This wasn't just, this wasn't a Christian led thing. This was this site, like psychological professions, eventually Freud changed his perspective to say like, oh, this needs to be get fixed. And he was just like, oh, it's a developmental abnormality that these people didn't fully develop heterosexual attractions and they just stopped at homosexual, but he didn't see it as an evil, just a kind of developmental pause that was what it was. So side X does come out is the Christian kind of version of that, that say, oh, we're oriented, there's something wrong in our hearts and minds, and we as Christians can do therapies mixed with the power of God to bring about uh, a change so that they no longer are attracted to men, no longer want to have same-sex sex, but, you know, we can do conversion that they can, and you can tell, you know, just like people were converted from, you know, non-belief into belief, people are being converted from their homosexuality to heterosexuality. So that's the backdrop of Sidex is that it actually comes out of the American cultural response to the development of gay culture. Yeah, that's pretty helpful. I do want to mention that um, my reading, Freud was undecided. It seems like sex was pathological or not. He's kind of like back and forth. Do you want to just say, add that just so we can make sure you represent him as a thinker. So. I would now talk about kind of how from that, what we call now side X, how from what that was like in the past, how eventually side A and B emerged. So don't worry, we'll talk about all these sides, what they mean. But eventually, oh, the last 10 years or decade or 20 years, eventually after experiencing side X, Christians who we might call queer, they started you know, meeting each other through different, you know, just churches or different meeting places, conferences, whatever. And eventually they got together and there's some Christians who formed something called the Gay Christian Network. It was uh, an organization which connected gay Christians. And this is in fact where we got this, this language of side A and side B. There's a webpage, Gay Christian Network became the Q Christian Fellowship, but you can find it on the Wayback Machine in the Internet Archive. And they, um, basically they listed two positions and these sides language, the sides language was used to attempt to have a fair way of describing it 
without having a lot of bad connotations. So they had site A, which said that same-sex uh, relationships can be blessed by God. And then originally they had side B, which said all gay Christians are called to lifelong celibacy. Now, as we talk about it, it's a little bit more complex, but those are where those terms emerged. And from that, somewhat distinct schools of thought or communities have continued until this day. And that's what we're going to talk about right now, these distinct communities. So I think now we should start with kind of talking about side X. So for each of these groups, we're going to talk about kind of the chief idea, the chief premise that the group exemplifies, some key principles they have, some organizations that generally are within this school of thought, some notable figures in the school of thought. And then we might talk about if we have any friends who in the school and what our experience with them is like. That's sort of what we're going to go to now. So I think we were going to start with side hacks. So go ahead, David Frank. Yeah, so side X, you can think of their focus as being on rebuilding. They're not just interested in you not doing something, but they want to do this whole person rebuilding transformation. So the X, you can kind of think of as ex-gay. There used to be this large ex-gay movement. Um, most famously uh, and prominently would be Exodus Ministries, which started in the 70s. And so they would post a lot of conversion stories about moving from someone who once was gay and now was ex-gay after they went through their therapies. The, the central premise, which Ada Frank has already sort of talked about this, but it's basically that having a same-sex sexual orientation, it's somewhat oriented towards the wrong ends and needs to be healed or removed. Even removed sometimes was what, how it was talked about. Yeah. Exodus Ministries' slogan used to be, change is possible. Mm -hmm. So that people who felt trapped in their same-sex attractions or desires they were promising them the opportunity for change. Exodus Ministries closed down in 2013, and some people from that are now part of an organization called Restored Hope Network that has important differences from Exodus, and but also is very much in that side X camp, really focused on kind of healing ministry. Mm -hmm. I want to say that I personally have less of experience with side X, I've mostly heard about it as a thing that happened in the past. Me, myself, I've never actually engaged with any Cydex groups or Cydex forms of therapy. Whereas, so, so I both know people who've come out of conversion therapy and kind of are like scarred from, you know, and that, and that kind of conversion therapy of most typically like a decade or so ago, potentially within Exodus Ministries. The Cydex people that I know now are a pretty different breed than the kind of old school side X. They would probably define conversion therapies in the past before we continue. Yeah. Conversion therapy could have looked like a lot of things, but it would use sometimes various psychological techniques of shock therapy of some of the more disturbing is having someone who's, who is, you know, maybe came out of a gay lifestyle or has homosexual attractions for them to look at gay pornography and then being shocked at the time so that they would then associate that those images or those feelings, you know, with bad feelings and to try to, to try to change their, their hard wiring. And, and other, there's a whole, there's a whole history, different ministries did different types of techniques. Some of them as normal as just counseling and that, and that's the kind of stuff that I know like is still going on. It's just. It, most of the conversation in kind of side X therapies would be around identity. Who are you as an identity, an image bearer of God, as someone who now has their identity in Christ and is specifically being made male and female. Mm -hmm. And, and so they'll really dig into what do those mean and how do you, how can you live into those identities? Mm -hmm. I can mention in the side B community. Side, side X has a pretty bad connotation and side X people usually are seen as particularly confused or even malevolent sometimes. But David Frank in our conversations leading up to this episode, he, he really wanted me to recognize that there's a range mm -hmm. and that's kind of important based on the people he met. And there's been an evolution, which remember we said these positions have evolved over time. Yeah. And, and so I would just always encourage no matter where you're coming from, how much you do or don't know, 
that if you hear someone, you're like, oh, it feels like they're coming from this perspective, whether it's ABYX, and you disagree with them, to ask them, what do you mean by that? What does that look like? Why do you think that? Why is that important? Because if someone just says, oh, you know, like, have you considered therapy to a side B person? That will instantly set up set up red flag. Yeah, of like, like, why you said it just because I'm gay that I need to go to therapy. I have something worse, you know, going on with me. And so you think I need to be healed or converted. Those are the types of responses you'll get from a lot of site B people, but side A as well. And so I'd encourage this, those who would have those red flags come up to take a deep breath and, and charitably imagine maybe they don't, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe you still disagree with what they're, they're hoping for and you're still kind of annoyed by it, but maybe they're not, you know, wanting you to go to like shock therapy and maybe what they mean by healing or recovery or transformation isn't what you assume they mean by that. Because there's a large range of, there's kind of this trope that you think, oh, side X people think we can just get rid of our sexual orientation and just start being attracted uh, to people of the opposite sex. There might be some side X people who still think that, but most of them actually don't. They'll, t they'll emphasize that there will be improvement and whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. We mentioned Exodus, which I think we also mentioned Restored Hope Network. It's somehow a movement that emerged from Exodus. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know the whole history of that. I'm not sure if you do, but anyways, it's something. And also there's a local one in this. Yeah, this city cities called Outpost. It would be, it's a ministry that's within the Restored Hope Network. I think they like, I forget if it's them or someone else in the Restored Hope Network that they sometimes use the language of open to change therapy. Hmm. I don't think that was Outpost specifically, but they fall within side X and a friend of mine who has, has worked for Outpost and has partnered with them before for his church. He, he's very hesitant. He's a man who experienced same sex uh, attractions with through Outpost ministry and he's very against people using language of sexual minority of even same-sex attracted let alone language of gay or queer or lesbian hmm. and the reason is because site x is very opposed to people identifying um with this part of their s sexual experience they're very big on being very clear about how you identify mm -hmm. i think that surprised me in our conversation before this episode David Frank mentioned that the side X people he knows, they sometimes say the goal is not heterosexuality, but holiness, even though that's pretty distinct from then the, tr the traditional perspective, what side X actually advocates. So how do you put that together? Or historically advocates. Historically, yeah, sure. Side X in the, you know, like seventies, it was like, our goal is to convert your sexuality. <laughs> you know, like that is the point of this therapy. And they've, in the same way that yeah, churches and denominations, culture continues to grow on these things. I would say a lot of site X, you might still find some old school site X ministries or people that come from that and haven't changed much on Restored Hope Network on their website. There's a quote talking about that the goal is holiness, which is something I've heard from site Y people. And I've yep. definitely heard from site B people yep, yep. that the goal is holiness. It is about, and it's not about this specific sexuality thing. So. Mm -hmm. It's, I hope they continue to grow in that direction, that they're less emphasizing specific markers of, of sanctification sure. by what your sexual orientation looks like. As we wrap up side X, can we list again, the, the, the key kind of principles that separate side X from the other yeah. sides we're going to talk about? So side X, which named after the kind of X game movement, mm -hmm. its focus is on rebuilding. They want to think about this transformation of your sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. And they also typically avoid terms. That's another thing to mention. Mm -hmm. And they, again, they're really focused on therapeutic endeavors to change mm -hmm. sexuality. And also another one is we should mention, there's been a lot of evolution, at least in some contemporary yep. side X movements or communities. Now we're going to jump to side A, opposite end A. of the spectrum. Yeah, basically, because usually we, we envision it as side A, B, Y, X. A, you can think A for affirm. 
they affirm homosexual practice. These would often be churches that would say, oh, we're an affirming church. They affirm homosexual practice as well as homosexual marriage. They would not morally distinguish between homosexual sexual relationships and heterosexual sexual relationships. If it is licit for two people to have sex within marriage, genders don't play into that. Yeah. Basically, they think both can be blessed by God as long as they're within the particular moral norms that Christians usually want, like no fornication, no adultery, marriage, like that sort of thing. So there are side, occasionally there's side A people who don't agree with those moral norms that are listed, but then. What he means by that is that there are some side A churches or communities that would kind of dismiss marriage too as being important to sexual morality. Mm -hmm. And so they might take certain more cultural cues around sexual morality. Say it's more about consent. It it doesn't have anything to do with your gender or a ring. I wouldn't say that that's normative of side A. No. Just that that does exist within the kind of side A affirming umbrella. Yeah, it's true. Some of the key principles of side A, typically in contrast to the side which usually holds the, the traditional view of sexuality or sexual practice, in the scriptures and the tradition, they typically think that the passages of scripture, which would seem to prohibit um, same-sex sex, have been uh, misinterpreted, but sometimes one, even though it's not the most common, but I think that it does exist. I would think more often nowadays, side A are saying, are taking a different approach to scriptural interpretation as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, so rather than saying, oh, this specific passage, you misunderstood Jesus or Paul or, the, you know, Deuteronomic texts or Leviticus texts. They're, they're saying, oh, no, your entire approach to Scripture is wrong. It could go as far as this to say your approach to Scripture is wrong because you think Scripture is always right. And yeah, I think it's sometimes wrong. Yeah. Uh, or it could say Scripture is part of this ongoing progressive thing. And so those are just dots in time of morality and and so it may might have been true then but it's now not true now god is doing new thing and he's continually showing more and more what is true yeah and then sometimes some new forms of knowledge we have through biology psychology social cultural studies they kind of help us remove the mistaken components lenses that we've used to use interpreting the scripture or something i've heard all it it, it really depends who you're talking with yeah, but I've heard all of these things and biblical studies, they also use all of these different, there's mis- you interpret the authors wrong or mistaken, or there's a new, there's a liberatory hermeneutic, oh, how we interpret scripture from then to now, or they just didn't know. And now we know this new knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all of those exist. Uh, that's a prominent thing. Cause that, that particular thing is usually a pretty important reason for why they're side A and affirm that God can bless same sex sex rather than the other sides. They, they're usually side A, maybe obviously they're against attempting to change sexual orientation because it's unnecessary to change sexual orientation. Yeah. There's no reason to really, and often, but perhaps not always, they usually have a pretty high value for thinking that sex is important for human flourishing. There are side A people who think celibacy can be a Christian path, but at least inside A, well, I talk with, it's probably less common perspective, even though some of them do. And because a lot of the reasoning that moves people to side A, and I would say that this is also generally like where our culture sits is like, well, how could you ever tell somebody that they couldn't have sex with someone they wanted to have sex with, uh, or at least mm-hmm. that type of person that yeah, yeah. forever forbidden. Yeah. And so because they're, they're using that reasoning incorporates to their view that they yeah, I believe sex to be a kind of normative part of adult human experience. Yeah, it's true. We can also talk about, this. Is, these are not principles precisely, but these are things I have noticed with engaging with side A people. Generally, there's a pretty strong emphasis on liberation. And I've even mentioned they, they often use liberation theology, like kind of that school of theological thought in their interpretations. Not all of them do, but... A lot of them I talk with are using that. So in the same way that people might talk about political oppression, racial oppression, Uh class oppression, they would also talk about being freed, liberated from heteronormativity as a type of oppression that 
heteronormativity as this expectation or enforcement of things looking like heterosexual couples and and heterosexual relationships and other ways that that might they might draw that into things yeah also there's often a big emphasis on values of kind of justice and empathy i think that's what it moves a lot moves a lot of people i mean in another episode we talk about my friend joel and that's part of what kind of moved him to think about side a also usually the side a people i know have often engaged with more queer people yeah in general so that's shaped their perspective a lot <clears throat> rather than some of the other side, like side X people I know, or side Y people I know, they've not engaged with that many queer people. Mm-hmm. I'm no more side Y than side X, but they've not engaged with that many queer people. So we want to talk about some chief organizations. The kind of biggest ones right now are the Reformation Project, and which is definitely side A, led by Matthew Vides. And then the Q Christian Fellowship, which side A, lean side A, even though there's some space for side B voices there. Mm-hmm. But they're two kind of key organizations in contemporary times. Some notable figures or persons are Matthew Vines, who I mentioned. Another guy's called Justin Lee, who is uh, basically an LGBT Christian leader who used to be part of Implicate Christian Network. But I think now he's an author and he works kind of on his own website. Also, there's sort of a famous author in this area called James V. Brownson, who is at Western Theological Seminary, wrote a book called um, Bible, Gender, Sexuality, which argues for a side A perspective. It's kind of one of the more prominent side A texts. So I wanted to share this time with, for David Frank to mention our a friend, especially his friend, mm-hmm. who is a side A person and a pretty great person to talk with. And, and in this case, side A meaning this is a friend who is straight, but would hold a side A theology. And, and so sometimes when we talk about, oh, that's a side A, B, Y, X Christian, sometimes we're inferring that there's someone who isn't straight. And sometimes we just mean that it's someone who holds that kind of perspective, theological or cultural. And yeah, my friend, I think has been very influenced by uh, kind of liberation theology and understanding that God is not just interested in a heavenly plane but is really interested in actively seeking liberation of peoples here on earth. And and as he's become more aware of just how much inequality there is, well, and honestly, most of the churches, (laughs) at least in, in here in the cities, that are really involved in kind of activism, you know, grassroots. Like justice work. Justice work. They're, they're side A churches. They're doing justice work on racial lines, and they're also doing justice work on kind of LGBTQ issues. And then, so in those churches, you're also going to find more queer Christians who are actively open about the fact that they are gay or queer uh, or non-binary on the kind of gender side of things, because they know that they're welcome there. The rainbow flag is outside of the church. And so you're just going to build relationships with those people and realize that they are, in fact, also human, contrary to maybe older, <laughs> older beliefs. I'm also friends with this friend. And I just wonder, how much do you think empathy plays a part in this? Like, he knows a lot of queer friends. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really difficult thing for anybody. If you know a gay couple, and especially if they have children that they've raised for years, like some of my own neighbors, for you to be at a church with them worshiping Jesus together and then to have to to si- somehow say that their gay relationship is illicit, gay or lesbian, and that what, you know, what are you then saying about how they've, how they've loved that other person, how they've raised their own family, how they've invested in uh, their own community as a couple? you know, you would have to be pretty heartless to, to have to just say, oh yeah, all that's trash, all that's sin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would, you know, argue from the side B perspective that that's not what <laughs> you should ever approach it. And, I, and I'm sure side X and Y people would also be very charitable and sympathetic as well to just the complexity of that situation. Even if, you know, you were to call them to 
whatever they think repentance or healing might look like. And so it, I, I do think that empathy just of, you know, really seeing, well, there's so much good here. I, I see the way that they care for each other. And you're saying that that's a bad relationship just because they're sexually involved as people of the same sex. So that's kind of, uh, I think a very kind of big part of just that, like deep understanding and actually getting to know people. What do you think is the main reason, just as a question, a main reason that this particular friend feels this, feels that he should be like lean side A. You know, it's all, it's all tied together and it's a, he wants to be able to to see what he sees as good and call it good and holy. Yeah, it's complicated. I think for this friend in particular, it's also, you know, if you go and see another person practicing a different religion and that you're like, it's not, this isn't all evil. Mm-hmm. And so how can I, can I enter into this space and be able to see something that I see as good, that is doing good and, and call it good or Am I stuck in a narrow position just because it doesn't fit this tight box that I've given? Do I have to call it bad and evil? I think there's other ways to have a more nuanced approach, but I think that's been a a driving kind of part of his exploration and, and wanting to embrace the good. And for this friend that I was talking about, him getting to know me more and more has been, there's been a lot of things from the side me perspective that he's really appreciated because uh, I think in his growing up, he was basically familiar with, oh, you're either side A or your side X. Yeah. There wasn't a third way of, of really relating to these things. It was either you have to hate your gay self mm-hmm. uh, or you have to embrace it. And he's like, well, I don't want people to hate themselves. And I can second that from my experience with my friends in the U.S. It's the same. And I think there's side A and side X. And then side B is some way is a position in the, the middle in mm-hmm. some way. Let's now move on to side B. Obviously, this is our own. This is where we kind of fit in this particular um, structure. So we are side B. Anyways, let's talk about the cheap premise of side B. Yeah. So side X, we said rebuild. Side A, affirm. Side B, we kind of say would renew. They have a desire to still be deeply biblical, but also very contextual uh, to how can they live out the historic biblical faith in Jesus Christ as his disciples, but in the context of, you know, where we are right now, at least for us, you know, in America, but wherever they might be around the world in in their context. So basically they hold the traditional Christian sexual ethic based based on scripture tradition and not some type of natural theology. They, um, said B, said B people agree that same sex sexual behavior is wrong, illicit, sinful, but they usually don't think that same-sex sexual attraction is culpable in the same way. It's pretty complicated what this means. Yeah. It's a kind of a debate, but I, I think what I said is generally true. They, I think side B does more nuancing work, whereas then side X typically would. Side X will say, well, look, you have this same-sex attraction that came from the fall. And so you should seek healing and restoration through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that holiness may indeed produce some heterosexual fruits, which are normal for humanity. And side B would want to dice that out a little bit more and say, what in these feelings that I'm having are actually sinful, sexual, lustful feelings? And what part of these feelings that I'm having aren't actually something that God would condemn, mm-hmm. that they're just, I'm being drawn, I'm being moved, I'm being shaped into a, a certain type of person, but it's not tied up with me committing sin. It's not leading me to go have uh, same-sex sex. Yet, it's all intertwined and, and complex enough that I still, they still identify it as part of their sexuality. And that even leads us to a, another prominent part of side B, Side B, people, they think the terms we might use, whether queer, gay, lesbian, bisexual, same-sex attracted, or not any terms at all, are usually based on the prudential judgment from each person. 
and I would, consultation with their community. I would say that is the biggest side B part. There's a whole range of kind of perspectives or just people who maybe haven't even thought about it a whole lot of what I was talking about, this kind of nuancing of feelings and, and what part of our sexuality is, is good and bad. And, but the, the home base is simply to say the terms don't matter that much. There are people who speak at Revoice, a, pro, a very prominent side B kind of Christian conference, Christian ministry, who don't use the word gay and queer for them or lesbian or queer for themselves. They use adjectives. They say, I am same sex attracted. Sure. But what makes them side B is that they don't die on that hill. They think that for their specific context, for their story, it just makes sense. Yep. So basically, side B is very open to prudential judgment. In wisdom, think about what term makes sense. I'm not sure, but I think it's the key difference from the other perspectives. I think it's more like the, the flower that blooms from a soil, which I think the difference is an idea of a particular narration of um, desire and nuance and how that desire, how that relates to what God is trying to do for you. I think that's developing more and more, but I, the reason I say it's the key one is because that's just the thing on its face. It's the face, yeah. Right? You know, like, that's how you're going to culturally all of a sudden tell, like, oh, this person described themselves as gay. They're likely not ex-gay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. That's, there, that is true. But I think, I really think it's, uh, it's important. I'll not deny that. It's one of the key principles. But I might place it at a different place and how we kind of envision what side B is doing. Another prominent side B thing that I'll turn to now is there's no need to do any sort of conversion therapy with your sexual orientation. That that distinguishes them from some forms of side X. So in side B, you'll hear uh, language of mixed orientation marriages so that a gay man could marry a woman. And it's not because he changed his orientation. He is still overall would still say, oh yeah, I'm gay, but I fell in love with this woman. One specific woman. Mm -hmm. I'm not generally attracted to women, but I... Do am attracted to her. And so that's, so mixed orientation marriage is what that would be called is where both the man and the woman aren't both straight. One of them is, or both are straight, both of them. They have, they have a different orientations than what you typically expect in a heterosexual marriage. Mm -hmm. That's not something that you would see inside X because even if in a sense, the same story is happening, one of the spouses came out of a whatever homosexual attractions or homosexual relationships, they would no longer identify with that previous orientation. And they would now identify as, oh no, I'm straight because I'm in a straight marriage. And that's who I am as a child of God, mm -hmm. someone who's heterosexual and straight. Yep. Even if they're still experiencing uh, same-sex attractions, they wouldn't identify as a as a different orientation, as a mixed orientation marriage. Um, kind of to expand a little bit, basically one of the key principles of side B is that they are open to multiple ways of living out the traditional sexual ethic, including marriage, Christian marriage, which what we call mixed orientation marriage, or various types of celibate vocations, like lay communities, lay communities like um, David Frank's community house Just context, or monastic vacations, or also spiritual friendships, that there's multiple celibate vocations they might be open to. One thing that I think is important to mention is that beyond these uh, five or so key principles, it's important to remember that side B community is united around these kind of common principles, but otherwise there's a lot of varying opinions on a wide range of matters, including how we understand same-sex attraction, what's its moral valence, to what extent is it good or bad, or how do we think about that? In a sense, how uh, side B people have differing opinions on how serious the error is of yeah, side A. That is right. Yeah. And some, yes, that, that is part of it as well. Other one is how we think about celibate partnerships. Those sort of relationships, uh, what, to what extent are they part of a faithful Christian life? How Christians should engage in queer subcultures, Christian or not? To what extent the ch Christian sexual ethics should be recognized in human society beyond the church? Mm -hmm. What sort of metaphors or tropes do we use to talk about people who are um, same-sex attracted? And then how we evaluate heteronormativity or how we think about the relationship between gender and sex. All of these things, are, they're contentious in the side B community. And we don't have a firm position as like a group or community. I'll 
what each of these issues should be. Potentially side B will, I don't know, maybe we'll develop in different schools in the future, different sub schools that have different positions on this, but as of now, it has not. So one of the things on the kind of cultural note is discussions on, should I use the gay pride flag? Yeah. Uh, you know, how much, you know, I'm okay using the gay language. Cause that just seems like the adjective for me, but do in what ways am I, do I associate with the gay pride march and rainbow flags? That's part of the, the conversation. What I like about this society like community is that we're not, not trying to create a new legalism, whatever I believe, you know, if I think it's important, I'm going to try to, you know, share my perspective in a sense. That's why we create this podcast is that we want to encourage thoughtful reflection two ways that honor God. Yeah. But Amen. that doesn't mean that everything is worth calling someone a heretic on. Well, some of the reasons I like to be is because we're, we're still trying to walk in the faith delivered to the saints that we, that we have known for thousands of years. But also we're interested in being contextual. And I, I like that we have a, I don't know what to say exactly. I would say experimental, but like we're exploring, we're exploring what it means to live faithfully to God in this particular cultural context, in these particular terms or kind of the experiences we're in and the subcultures that are around us. And I, I find that like invigorating and faithfully Christian in a way that very rigid ways of being, thinking about these topics does not seem to be as faithful in any way. So that's what I really like about Side B. We mentioned Revoice as the organization that's kind of at like the flag bearer for the Side B community at this point. There's also a blog called Spiritual Friendship, which actually is the way I got connected to Side B originally. That, uh, they've been around for a long time, at least 10 years. Could be longer, but I think at least 10 years. I was, I was reading them in college, so it's at least 10 years, but it could be longer perhaps as well. But yeah, those are the two main kind of Side B organizations around. Some notable figures that you might know as Wesley Hill. He's a, a book called Washed and Waiting. Yes. And as well as a book called Spiritual Friendship. Both of which are directly related. And he teaches New Testament in Pennsylvania. I think at an Anglican. I forget. College, an Anglican seminary, I believe. Then Eve Tushnet, she's a Catholic. And she, she has some, also a lot of great books worth reading. And then next, Belgao, who he's played involved with Spiritual Friendship. And he's also been involved with the Gay Christian Network in the past. He does a lot of work related to these topics. Also, I'm just going to mention Mark Yarhouse, who's a psychologist at Wheaton College. He, he's studied this for a long, long time, sexuality and Christianity. And currently he's kind of a side B supporter or ally, you might say, even though he himself is not queer. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of some prominent side B people that are currently speaking on these topics. And so I was actually just looking on the Restored Hope Network website and they have some quotes from Mark Yarhouse regarding some of kind of studies that he did regarding conversion therapy and what were the actual the effects of it. But they put a little asterisk to say, we, we disagree with Mark Yarhouse on his perspectives on <laughs> kind of mainly around language. Yeah. Yeah. And how, how people can identify or what they should do with their sexual orientation. I hope we can read this, engage this book sometime, but Mark Yarhouse, a couple years back, maybe five to 10 years back, he wrote a book, which is a the kind of a major longitudinal study of ex-gay ministries. And he talked about what that would mean for sexual minorities and to what extent these ministries were successful in some of the goals they had, including changing orientation. So I hope we get to someday. This is not the, the day, but someday. Let's dig into side Y. So for a long time, I would have called myself side Y. And then for a while, I would have called myself kind of B-Y, like in between there. And there's still, well, I'll nuance that at the end. But side Y, we'd call that, I like to think of that, them saying, why would I even talk about sexual orientation? Why would I think in those terms? Because uh, side Y wants to renounce worldly and unbiblical ways of thinking about our human personhood. This term was coined by Gabriel Blanchard. And he's a side B Catholic writer who blogs on Mudblood Catholic. And he wrote, he coined side Y in 2016, mostly as a way to distinguish between people who were side X, but didn't advocate for conversion therapy. Mm -hmm. But in fact, they somehow said that we're not going to do that. 
queer therapy is bad, even though we also think homosexual attraction is basically a bad thing. So one large organization called Courage International, they're very clear that they don't advocate for conversion therapy, but in any ministries that they do for people with sexual addiction, they have a kind of 12-step approach like using Alcoholics Anonymous framework. So while they're not against therapy, you know, or counseling groups, they're not, they're not for conversion therapy. And that's the kind of difference between uh, side why are people who don't want to identify as gay or queer in the same way that side X are hesitant with that, but they're not focused on this specific form of therapy or rebuilding. Mm -hmm. That is right. It's kind of the key way that we distinguish them. Currently, in my opinion, side Y is kind of the, it's not the main contender against side B and sort of the Christians who accept the traditional Christian sexual ethic. That's who, that's kind of the contention point <laughs> currently as of now. Side X, I think is more marginal comparatively to the other yeah. perspectives. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of people are, maybe they don't know, but they feel that baggage of conversion therapy and ex-gay. And so they don't, they don't generally identify with that. Side Y were some notable people in that would be Rosaria Butterfield, who used to be a lesbian and now has written books about her unexpected conversion. Denny Burke, does he work at? He works at Boys College. Okay. I think he's a New Testament scholar, a theologian, but he's a pretty prominent, um, he's one of the more prominent Side Y people. He occasionally has written with Rosaria Butterfield as well. Mm -hmm. And Michael Hannon, he's a Catholic theologian, I believe. Mm -hmm. he, he wrote this pretty long article in First Things called Against Heterosexuality. And what him and Rosaria really hit on is not specifically against gay or queer or homosexuality, but how this entire framework of sexual orientation is actually what's undermining our healthy, like biblical living. And, and so it's a good read in that it goes, it goes through some of this history of where we even kind of came to these ideas of thinking of ourselves as heterosexual versus homosexual. And I honestly think that their kind of intellectual deconstruction of these ideas is, is important to a decent yeah, degree agreed. to, to just recognizing that the way that we're thinking, the way that we're talking is from a certain history, from a certain context, and they're not part of our inalienable humanhood, you know, but it's, it's how we've, it's how we're talking about ourselves. Yeah. Another thing that's about side Y that I think that uh, general principle, they usually do not favor Christians who engage in what they might term queer sort of mm -hmm. ways of being or relationships. And they usually, basically you could say they support kind of broadly European American heteronormativity. That term can be used in a judgmental way. I'm trying to be more descriptive. But for example, they would probably be skeptical of some of the forms of committed friendship that some side be Christians talk about. And they would typically hope Christians would fit like pretty normally into European American kind of gender norms. So that's one of the more notable principles that they might hold to usually. Um, yeah. So I think those are the main key points. I just want to mention another organization, David Frank mentioned Courage International. I would say the ACNA, the Anglican Church of North America, with a recent letter that we'll talk about soon, is, I would say that's the side white position to say that Christians must call themselves Christians who experience same-sex attraction. That's pretty side why, because it really restricts what Christians can call themselves rather than give a lot of prudential judgment towards the Christians who might want to talk about themselves in particular ways. Additionally, it also shows like a perspective that there, it might be a more negative viewing of the, the fallenness of their same-sex desires. Like they might have a hard time seeing the, any goods in it. In a way that side B Christians might be willing to talk about our goods at that. That's another thing that might be a distinguishing point between side Y and side B. I think that's a lot of side Y hear side B people and they're, they hear this kind of side A affirmation, whole, holistic affirmation of same-sex sexuality, same-sex marriage. And they want to very much renounce that unbiblical perspective and want to firmly land themselves into 
this kind of conviction of like what God does intend for our sexuality. And so that's why there's desire not to use that language, not to kind of give ground away. And, and there's a true, a real truth in this of that, like words carry like ideology in theology, mm-hmm. you know, like, and what I would encourage though, is not to assume that, you know, when you say the word justification, that when someone else uses the word justification, you sometimes you have to ask, oh, what do you mean by that? How, yeah. how does that play out in your life? Yep. Uh, when you use the word same-sex attracted or gay or queer, what meaning does that have for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that will really vary uh, person to person. That's true. That's true. Sorry, that's me preaching my side B, um, <laughs> trying to describe side Y. <laughs> there's, there's some differences, including in how we approach, how we evaluate terminology and how we are, our broader social evaluation even. Like, what do these words mean? in these communities, what do they not mean? Mm-hmm. We'll talk about this more, I think, in other podcasts. So that, that's one of the key principles that you probably have realized is the terminology. That's one of the key on the face ways of the difference between side B, even though there's a deeper grammar of difference between the two that really lies on kind of theological postures and principles mm-hmm. that are going to divide it. Mary talked about my friend who's side Y mm-hmm. a couple of weeks back. When I was talking with my friend about the recent letter from the bishops of the Incan Church in North America, I was describing this to a friend from college. This was used as a new entry in the conversation. She had not known about this much. What I was describing to her, these different positions, B and Y, and were kind of contending within the Anglican Church of North America. I described the positions to her and she immediately identified with side Y. And I was like, I'm not side Y, I'm side B. And she predictably, based on the side, why people that you usually know, she focused on terminology. And for her, she's a, she's a missionary kid. And then she comes from a background of what we might call charismatic. She saw using the term gay as like a stronghold of spiritual power, I guess, which was turning itself against God. Like you're entering in a stronghold that is oriented away from God towards spiritual forces of darkness. And I was, and I had a very different opinion. Like, no, it's the common vernacular in English about the pretty description of their patterns of your attraction. So that, that was a huge difference, which focuses on terminology, but you can see there's a, there's a, there's deeper underlying theological mm-hmm. postures and mm-hmm. beliefs that are different on how we engage these topics. I will also mention, she doesn't know that I'm queer. <laughs> so I don't know if she would react differently if she thought I, if she knew I was queer, she didn't think I was straight or whatever, but yeah. We argued about that for days. <laughs> She's that kind of like intellectual argumentative type sometimes. And we, we said it together in majors, which really emphasize that kind of intellectual debate. So we talked about for days, but she would never give in to the idea that the terminology wasn't that big of a deal. And then she also typically rejected all of the potential other metaphors or tropes that are sometimes used for same sex desire or queerness, such as disability or maybe ethnicity or subcultures. And she preferred more negative ones like alcoholism or yeah, even she said I was used terms of like perversion to describe same sex sexuality or sex. It wasn't always clear, but yeah, so that was, that was one of my exp- recent experiences with a sideway person that I know who admittedly is not very in the conversation. Most sideway people, I think they probably don't call themselves sideway. It's kind of a lay low where we apply to them and the, how we perceive the world and maybe some side, A people on side, X people, I'm not sure, but it's mostly side B thing. Cause we're, it's one of the key differences that we see in our churches that are usually kind of the, the Orthodox churches who are following traditional sexual ethic sidewise, our major contender basically for, as a broad school of thought of how to engage these topics. So but Frank, do you know any side Y people? Oh, I would say, yeah, people in my church, I'd say a lot of conservative Christians who would want to distance themselves from the kind of side A, uh, rainbow flag waving churches naturally fall into a side Y position because they're like, oh, I, I don't want to do what they're doing. And so I'm not even going to, you know, to use their language wouldn't mean to agree with them. Hmm. And so I think that's why the difference comes down to that very often. Hmm. Hmm. An interesting Kevin DeYoung recently wrote an article 
I think on the Gospel Coalition. Is Kevin DeYoung? Did you say more? <laughs> Kevin DeYoung is a Reformed Coast pastor who, Reformed Presbyterian, and he wrote an article. He would land and decide why camp when it comes to these issues. And he wrote an article that was talking about why are Christians often falling into four different camps on a whole range of issues, on mask wearing, on Trump, on sexuality. Uh, it's worth a read because he, in a similar way that we've tried to discuss, like how ABYX, side A affirms, side B looks to renew, side Y looks to renounce, and side X looks to rebuild. He lays out this kind of different matrix that didn't start with this, but actually maps on really well of how the kind of progressive are looking to, are often having a contrite posture and people on the more kind of right-wing fundamentalists are looking to be really courageous in stance of the cult, you know, cultural pressures. And then site B would be fall under the kind of compassionate. And then the site Y would be under the cautious that they're, they're being cautious with what's going on mm. uh, in the culture and, and not trying to, to slip up one way or the other. Mm. So it's, it's really, while we can say, oh, there's these theological differences, I think it's really valuable, Kevin DeYoung's insight, to see that what actually leads us to theological positions is often a deeper posture. Um, that impacts a lot of our life, not just how we come to specific ideas, but a whole s spread of them uh, yeah, across sure. our communities. And so, yeah, it's valuable analyzing, oh, why, what is my posture? What am I, what am I reacting to or what am I leaning into and why that would lead me into that position? And, and, and I think that's what we should be asking each other as people say, oh, I kind of feel like I might lay to this camp of understanding, oh, why that is, well, why don't we come to these different positions? Mm -hmm. I take from that is there's, like, there's a moral psychological base that undergirds some of our theological beliefs. And we have a particular postures within us that's kind of shape how we pursue these things. So it is all about asking others why you come to these positions, have a charitable conversation. Doesn't mean you're going to agree. And it doesn't mean that there's not a better path necessarily. But it just brings again, charity, mm -hmm. like loving God and loving neighbor. And when we discuss about important topics to be able to show that love in one way or another, mm -hmm. love and justice. And one posture is a really well, actually a, a really good way to describe these things rather than the sides, which they are, we talk about them side A, B, Y, yeah. It'd almost be nice to call them uh, posture A, posture B, posture Y, posture X, because of the way that you can learn something from all these different sides. They're not all wholesale in disagreement with each other. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's usually, it's often to a matter of degree. To what degree do we need to be cautious about culture? To what degree or in what way do we need to seek for gospel healing in our lives and in our sexuality? How much do we try to engage culture and learn from minority positions? So. Hopefully we don't just think about these are the people that, you know, we, we know where our lines are so we can separate each other. But I at least hope that people can begin to have a lot more compassionate understanding and, and see ways that they agree with each other. Maybe someday there'll be a side bikes position, BYX, where they take the best from each and uh, can have a lot less animosity towards each other. Yeah, I hope so. I hope, I hope eventually there'll be better schools of engaging with this. Even though I can't deny that I probably have a more, uh, cynical, <laughs> cynical. I maybe, I think maybe I basically think some of the sides are more wrong and should change, <laughs> but yeah, we can learn from each other. You can learn from side Y people and side X people and side A people. It's very possible. doesn't mean, of course, I think you are if you're side better. A for uh, reasons. Yeah. But yeah, we should continue learning and being charitable on all things. Yeah. So we will link a few resources that maybe lays out what we've talked about in the last hour visually. So in case that's kind of helpful for you. And but the best thing would be to, I'd encourage you to reach out to people uh, in your life and have a charitable 
interest in, in, in what they think about this, who comes from a different perspective, either because they're part of a different church, maybe, or if you have any friends who are a different sexual orientation than yourself or have a different experience with those attractions and, and what that looked like in their life. And to ask these questions about what does language and identity growth in the gospel look like for you, have these conversations because it's, if we can't, you know, that, that we're missing out on like real Christian fellowship in the ways that we'll be able to understand each other and then better edify and support one another. Thinking rightly is, is towards the ends of love. So that's my, that's my kind of closing encouragement to any of those who've, who've made it this far. I think my closing encouragement is let us keep seeking the truth <laughs> so we can be faithful to God and mm-hmm. again, love, love God and love our neighbor and love the creation we're in. So, yeah, I think that's all for today. Yeah. I'm TJ Espinoza. Thanks so much for listening. This is David Frank. You guys have a good rest of your day. Bye. Bye.